Well, good morning, church. Let me start out by thanking Roger Vizzo and Pastor Brad for leading us in the word these past two weeks. It was helpful to have that time and space for our family to pack and prepare to move. And you guys did a great job wrapping up our series, Gospel People. As you can see, I'm here in the College Park Auditorium. So that means the Carter family is here now. We have just one more trip to make to get the rest of our stuff, but our family's here and we're starting to adjust to a new time zone and rhythms of life. And I wanna thank the College Park family for all the love and support you've shown us these last couple weeks. Everyone who came out to help us unload the truck, visit us with food and gifts, encouraging notes and message. We feel so loved and we are so thankful for our new church family. Well, I hope the sermon series we just completed, Gospel People, was encouraging and instructive and challenging all at once for you. I know it was for me to plan it and write it and teach it, and my hope is the Lord carries us forward in life and ministry together, growing in faith and practice as a church family to serve Him, to bear witness to the gospel, and become the disciples and worshipers He has made us to be. And today we're going to start a different but related focus. You know, everything we just talked about in the Gospel People series is possible only by the power and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. All of it. We pursue and live by the vision, the greater dreams inspired and directed by the Holy Spirit. We experience abundant life by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit creates in us a passionate love and zeal for God. The church is united in mission and community by the work of the Holy Spirit. We can become the kind of people, the gospel people, who love one another, live by grace and hope, and learn to bear one another's burdens and forgive one another by the power and enabling of the Holy Spirit. And even our good works, the things we do in response to God's love for, for us, are made good and have value because of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. You know, one could even argue that today and the next three weeks is really an extension of the Gospel People series, that we are a people of the Holy Spirit. Because to be and live as God desires his Gospel people to be and live is possible only by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because the truth is, our sin gets in the way of us living fully as God would have us. Realistically, we'll never reach a state of complete holiness until we are free of this flesh and we have a new purified state of being in heaven in communion with God. But as gospel people, we believe the scriptures clearly teach what we call total depravity. This is the idea that every single part of us is touched and tainted and infected by sin. In Psalm 51, verse 5, David says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time even when my mother conceived me. And in Ephesians 2, 3, Paul says we were by nature deserving of wrath. You know, our sin nature is so powerful that our spiritual nature needs a whole lot more strength than what our own force of will can provide. It needs the force of the Holy Spirit. And so to be and live as gospel people, we need a massive amount of help. And praise God that he gives us that help. In the Gospel of John, chapter 13, Jesus has these challenging words for us. He says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus is saying, if you love me, you'll do everything I said. 
And if you don't, that means you don't really love me. And you know, if we stop there, that's, that's challenging to hear because every day I don't do all the things he commanded and taught. My sin nature just keeps fighting back. But Jesus says he will send the helper, the Holy Spirit. Jesus was with those disciples physically, but when he ascended to heaven, his presence would still be with the disciples and us today by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit being sent in Jesus' name would be Jesus' officially delegated representative to act on his behalf. Jesus helped his followers understand and live as gospel people in his earthly ministry, and today the Holy Spirit does the same for us. The Holy Spirit helps us remember, not just in our minds, but in our life and habits and behavior, all the things that Jesus said. The Holy Spirit helps us live out Jesus' commands and calling. So the Holy Spirit has not just an essential role, but the essential role in our ability to understand what it means to follow him, to be gospel people, and then how to live as his disciples. And this series explores the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's four weeks. Next week, we're going to look at what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. After that, we'll discover or renew our understanding of walking by the Spirit or walking with the Holy Spirit. And the last message on Pentecost will focus on working with the Holy Spirit, where we'll talk about spiritual gifts and the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. But today's message is called the eruption of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's important to know who we're even talking about. So for the rest of our time today, I'm going to focus on two main ideas, the identity of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of ground to cover, a lot of scripture, and some parts will be more theological and fast-paced, so be ready with your notes and maybe even consider watching this message again sometime this week. And I believe this message is appropriate for us today, as it is for the church at any time in history and for the church anywhere in the world, because we sure do need the power and presence of God in our lives, in our families, and in our churches, and in the world today. I know that preparing for this series has been quite fruitful and devotional for me. I've needed a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit in these days of uncertainty and uncharted ground for the church. I've been asking the Lord every day for a renewed vision and wisdom and discernment with how best to lead and pastor in the midst of this pandemic and all of its implications for our church life and ministry. But not only that, Maybe you're like me and you grew up in a church environment where you came out somewhat confused or uninformed about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, I'm convinced that many of us today are either ignorant or afraid of the Holy Spirit. I know that in my spiritual upbringing, my understanding of the Holy Spirit was reduced pretty much to that mysterious figure of the Trinity who really only has two primary roles, to convict me of my sin and to comfort me when I'm sad. And these are certainly true, but there's so much more to the Holy Spirit and his role and work in our lives. And to fully embrace the Holy Spirit's work means first understanding him, if not in fullness of understanding, at least in greater measure. So first let's ask, who is the Holy Spirit? This is the question of his identity. You know, today we sang the great hymn, Holy, 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 composed in 1861 by Reginald Heber. You know, and the lyrics declare, Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. God in three persons. So the Holy Spirit is one of the distinct persons of the unity of the Godhead. He's not less than the Father 
or the Son, and he's not greater. He's co-equal with the Father and the Son, always has been and forever will be. And we see the Spirit present at the very beginning and all throughout the Old Testament. Now, this won't be a full treatment of the doctrine of the Trinity, but we see Trinitarian language all through the scriptures when it comes to the descriptions of God. In Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. In Genesis 3.22, after Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, God says, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. And in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And in many places in the Old Testament where the phrase, the angel of the Lord is found, suggests a plurality of persons in God because the text refers to the angel of the Lord as God or the Lord such as Moses at the burning bush, or the comforting of Sarai, or the calling of Gideon. And we see the Holy Spirit present and participating even in the act of creation. In Genesis 1 verse 2, we see that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, sustaining and manifesting God's immediate presence in his creation. And Psalm 33 verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. And the word breath here can also be translated as spirit. And so we know from Colossians that chapter 1 verse 16 that Jesus, the son, was present and active in creation because Paul says, in him all things were created through him and for him. So from the very beginning, even in creation, we can see the partnership of the Trinity is for the father to plan, the son to begin, and the Holy Spirit to complete and sustain. In the New Testament, we have even more complete revelation of the Trinity. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, at Jesus' baptism, we see all three persons of the Trinity present and acting distinctively. Jesus himself in the waters, the Father himself speaking from the heavens, and the Holy Spirit as a dove descending upon Jesus. And in Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission, the language is Trinitarian where he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And one of my favorites is Paul's final words in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, where he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There's a clear understanding, promotion, and worship of the triune God by the early church. And bound up with that understanding and worship is the recognition that the Holy Spirit, he isn't just a force of God or the poetic symbol of his power, but the Holy Spirit is indeed himself fully God. In Psalm 139, David says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? David attributes omnipresence to the spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 Uh, Paul ascribes omnipotence to the Spirit when he says, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. In all these passages and many others, we see the Holy Spirit, he's put in co-equal relationship with the Father and the Son. He isn't just the force or the will or the artistic representation of God. All three persons of the Godhead are distinct persons in a cosmic and holy tri-unity. And we see this throughout Scripture how the Holy Spirit, he's distinctively active in a number of ways, teaching, bearing witness, interceding, giving spiritual gifts, forbidding and approving action, and even speaking 
You can see Acts chapter 8, verse 29, or chapter 13, verse 2 for that. So the Holy Spirit is fully God, fully present, fully active, and therefore fully worthy of worship. The Holy Spirit's not to be sidelined in our daily life or devotion or worship. In fact, it would be correct to say that you can't fully and truly worship God without a focus on the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who even enables our worship in the first place. It's the Holy Spirit who completes and sustains our discipleship, our belonging to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who makes our prayers and praises audible to God. It's ultimately the Holy Spirit with whom we have contact and connection when it comes to being in a relationship with God. So let's turn our understanding to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Like I said earlier, it's easy for us to put all of our devotion and thinking and daily experience on God the Father and God the Son and reduce the role of the Holy Spirit to convicting us of our sin and comforting us in our hardship. And not that we shouldn't be focused on Jesus. We absolutely should. But did you know that it's actually the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life that even enables you to focus on Jesus? The work of the Holy Spirit goes way beyond what many of us regularly consider. And my hope today is that we recognize that, we embrace it, and we experience an abundance of life from it. So to sum it up, I'm going to borrow from Wayne Grudem. He's a renowned scholar, theologian, and where he says the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world, especially the church. The work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world, especially the church. To manifest means to show or display or to make known or even to make happen. The Holy Spirit is in the business of manifesting the active presence of God in the world. In days past, God made himself known and has been active in the world in different ways. In the Old Testament, God's active presence was primarily in what we call theophanies. Theophanies. And a theophany is a combination Greek word where theos is the word for God and phinane is the verb to show. So a theophany is the visible appearance of God to a human and could take the form of natural phenomena or a human-like form or an angelic form. And some examples are Jacob wrestling with God or the column of cloud and fire as the Hebrews wandered through the wilderness, the burning bush that Moses encountered, God appearing in dreams and visions like with Isaiah and Ezekiel, and again, the many instances of the angel of the Lord appearing to give warning, instructions, guidance, or to rescue. Sometimes that was an angel, a a created heavenly being, but many times it was God himself. That was one of the primary ways God's presence was made manifest to the people in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, or specifically the Gospels, Jesus himself is the manifest presence of God. God is shown forth and made known and his purposes enacted by the life and teaching and ministry of Jesus himself. But now, after Jesus ascended to the Father, the Holy Spirit is the primary manifestation of the power and presence of God. He's the one who is most prominently with us now. The Holy Spirit is the one who enacts and makes known God's active presence in the world, especially the church today. The Holy Spirit is present and active and working in the world today in every Christ follower and in the church. He's working, he's moving, he's doing. He's working to complete and sustain what the Father planned and what Jesus started in us. You know, the work of defeating sin and providing salvation, that's done. Jesus completed that work on the cross and in his victorious resurrection. 
But the work of God in our lives as his disciples and in the church, that continues today. And that's the continuing work of the Holy Spirit. So what's the nature of that work? What does the Holy Spirit actually do? I'm going to continue borrowing from Wayne Grudem because, well, he's really smart. And he's organized this really well in his writings. But I'm going to give him my own little twist in how I organize it. Looking at the scriptures, we can distinguish five broad categories of the work of the Holy Spirit. Five ways that the Holy Spirit enacts and makes known God's active presence in the world. Five ways that the Holy Spirit erupts into the world and into the church with the power and presence of God. And the first is that the Holy Spirit empowers. He empowers, he enables, provides, and equips. And he does this in a few ways. For one, the Holy Spirit gives life, both literally and spiritually. Psalm 104 verse 30 says, when you send forth your spirit, the creatures of the earth are created and you renew the face of the ground. And conversely, in Job chapter 34, verses 14 and 15, he says that if God were to withdraw his spirit or his breath, all humanity would perish together and mankind would return to the dust. So we can see how it's the role of the Holy Spirit to give and sustain physical life. But the Spirit also gives us new spiritual life in the work of regeneration. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. It's in the Holy Spirit who does this work. It's his work of regeneration, the miracle of new birth. But even more, look at Romans chapter 8, verse 11, where Paul says, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So the Holy Spirit will complete this miracle of new life when Jesus returns and we all receive new resurrection bodies. So the Spirit empowers by giving physical and spiritual life to us. But he also empowers us for service. He enables people to do things. In the Old Testament, it was the Holy Spirit who gave Joshua his leadership skills and wisdom and raised up judges like Gideon and Deborah and Samson to lead and deliver Israel. In each case, it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon each of them. And the same is true of the kings of Israel, Saul and David and Solomon. Though each had their faults and their shortcomings, it was the Holy Spirit who raised them up, anointed them, established their leadership, and gave them each the capacity to rule and to reign. We even see the Holy Spirit empowering people for creative tasks, such as Bezaliel in Exodus chapter 31 and 35. God gave him artistic skills for constructing the tabernacle according to God's designs. And the scriptures say that prophets like Daniel and Ezekiel and Micah actually had the Holy Spirit in them as they admonished and guided Israel. Ezekiel said in chapter 2, verse 2, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus at his baptism, therefore, or thereby anointing him for the ministry ahead of him. And it was actually the fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, where the prophet says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In Luke chapter 4, we see the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus as he battled temptation 
in the wilderness. And soon after, in verse 18 of chapter 4, as he preached in the synagogue, Jesus himself declared, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. We also see the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus' followers for service, for kingdom action. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit when he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And we see that power in great measure as the disciples go on to do amazing things. Like in Acts 6, 8, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. And in Romans 15, verse 19, Paul gives all the glory to God for the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Holy Spirit of God that he performed. But even perhaps less miraculously, credit is given to the Holy Spirit's empowering when it comes to preaching and the declaration of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And Peter asserts the same work of the Spirit in preaching in his letter, in his uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Back in Romans 8, verse 26, many of us are familiar with Paul's words about Spirit-enabled prayer when he says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do, know not, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And in Ephesians 2.18, Paul says, For through Jesus we have access to the Father by one Spirit. So even in the act of prayer, we need and we have the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And then there's the whole realm of spiritual gifts. This is something we're going to spend more time on later in the series. But in 1 Corinthians 12.11, Paul says, All these gifts are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. It's the Holy Spirit who gives these special gifts for the building of the church. And when these gifts are active, it's an indication of the presence of God and the Holy Spirit in the church. And so the Holy Spirit empowers the people of God with life, with new life, in prayer, with skills and spiritual gifts, all for the sake of making the active presence of God known in the world. Do you know that you're not exempt from that? God has given each of his redeemed and adopted children the capacity to participate in his work in the world. He's given you at least one spiritual gift to bring to bear on the ministry of the kingdom, to be a minister in the house of God. Every Christian is called to a life of ministry, even if it's not full-time or vocational. So don't, don't just be a, a spectator watching everyone else use their spiritual gifts and contributing to the life and ministry of the church. Grab onto it and own the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life. So the Holy Spirit erupts into the world and into the church with the power and presence of God by empowering his people. And the second is this. The Holy Spirit reveals. He brings revelation. He's in the business of revealing the things of God. He does and has done this in a number of ways. The Holy Spirit gave revelation and guidance to the, the prophets and the apostles as they composed the scriptures, both the Old Testament and the New. Uh, we see this often in the Old Testament when a prophet begins with the words, this is what the Lord says, right? And in 2 Peter 1.21, speaking of the Old Testament prophetic witness, Peter says, prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were being carried along by the Holy Spirit. As for the New Testament writers, 
John 16, 13 says, when he, the spirit of truth comes, will guide you into all truth. And Paul claimed in Ephesians chapter three, that through his words, we would be able to understand his insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. The Holy Spirit, he's also the revealer of God's presence. You know, sometimes you hear or might have heard that the work of the Holy Spirit is not to call attention to himself, but rather to only give glory to the Father and the Son. You know, and this is probably because of passages like John 16, 14, where Jesus said the Holy Spirit will glorify him, or John 15, 26, where Jesus said the Holy Spirit will testify about him. But this doesn't mean the Holy Spirit doesn't make known his own words and actions. There are hundreds of verses that talk about the work of the Spirit and where he's made known by his own activity. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon Moses and the 70 elders in Numbers chapter 11. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples at Pentecost in Acts 2. Clearly in these accounts, the Holy Spirit is front and center in the narrative and in the action. And the great thing about the Holy Spirit working in these various ways to make known the presence of God is that it encourages our faith and draws nearer those who are far from God. It gives testimony to the power and presence of God among the people and here in the world. He's not a distant God removed from human concern or history. You know, the Holy Spirit also gives revelation as in guidance and direction for God's people. We see God showing up at hundreds of times throughout the entire canon of scripture to nudge and direct and even command his people to action or in particular decisions. In Matthew chapter four, verse one, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. In Acts chapter 10, 19 and 20, the Holy Spirit directed Peter to go to Cornelius's house, which led to the conversion of his entire family. In Acts 16, Verse six and seven, we can see how Paul was kept from or, or forbidden by the spirit from preaching in the provinces of Asia, Asia and Bithynia. And he was given a vision instead to go to Macedonia. The Holy Spirit was directing the plans and itinerary of Paul and his mission team. So we see this language of the scriptures in the scriptures of being led by or walking according to the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about more later in the series. But the image of daily life we get from the scriptures is, is a daily, even moment by moment, responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is more than just our reflecting on biblical wisdom or moral direction, but it involves a personal leading and directing of the Holy Spirit as he gives guidance and direction to our daily decisions. He's always present and speaking to our hearts and minds. Yet so often we, we just don't listen and we save consultation of the Holy Spirit for the bigger or more more major decisions about life. May we all understand that God is involved in our lives and that he, he wants moment by moment access. You know, the Holy Spirit also reveals what is consistent and inconsistent with the nature and the character of God. God is holy, so he reveals and convicts us of our sin. God is love, so we learn to love as we follow him. God is peace, so we learn to trust and choose joy. God is truth, so we can be honest about ourselves and who we really are and don't have to hide anything from him. And so on, because God is wisdom and comfort and freedom and righteousness, hope, unity, power. And the Holy Spirit reveals these attributes in our lives, in our thoughts, our attitudes, our beliefs, and our behaviors. 
And he reveals when our lives and decisions are inconsistent with his nature and character. God is comfort and hope, so the Spirit reveals that worry and despair are not for the people of God. That's inconsistent. Jesus completed the work of saving us, and he began the work of transforming us into the people of righteousness, gospel people, who not only reflect but actually become Christ-like. And the Holy Spirit continues that good work in each of us today. And as he does, he reveals what that looks like, what is Christ-like and what is not. The Holy Spirit also reveals our belonging in Christ. This is what we call assurance, the confidence that we abide in him and he in us. Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, John says, And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. But it's more than just our intellect that's involved. He works to make us know and feel our belonging and assurance. And the Holy Spirit also gives revelation in that he helps us to understand. Understand what? Well, almost whatever we can ask of him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. And again, in John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit teaches and he casts light on truth. He casts light on scripture, God's word in written form so that we can understand and live in the way of truth and righteousness and the assurance of promise and belonging as we follow him. So the Holy Spirit is in the business of revealing the things of God in this day and age. He may not be birthing new scripture as he did to the prophets and apostles, but he is birthing new life into the church today. So the Holy Spirit erupts into the world and into the church with the power and presence of God by empowering his people and revealing the things of God. And the third is this, the Holy Spirit unifies. So we've seen how the Holy Spirit has always been present and active in history even at the beginning of creation and all throughout the Old Testament history of God's people. But at Pentecost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in fullness and power on the first generation of believers, it, it marked a shift in the work of the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Not only now does the Holy Spirit actually personally dwell in every single Christ follower, but there's another amazing dynamic at work. Pentecost was a unifying event for the young church, and it led them into something that had never been seen before in human culture. I mean, just look at how the church lived with one another and in the community in Acts chapter 2. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I mean, can you imagine the unity, the sense of community, the power of their fellowship and friendship, how they provided for each other's needs and took care of each other? This is a work of the Holy Spirit. And it began with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. This is what the Holy Spirit does today, too. 
As we join together in life and ministry and mission, the Holy Spirit works to unify us and to bond us together in truth and under the banner of love of Jesus Christ. Despite our individual differences, he gives us common purpose and common vision for our cities, for our neighborhoods, for our neighbors, to make known the gospel of Jesus Christ and to urge those far from God to come closer to him and to know his grace and mercy. You know, this is always important for the church, always has been throughout history. The times where we've done the most damage is when we're the least unified. And today, in our current context, dealing with this viral epidemic, where life has changed in so many ways for all of us, the church can choose to be unified and confident and hopeful in the presence of the Holy Spirit, or we can choose to be separate and fearful and critical of one another. As we continue to pray through and discern the best course of action for our church, we are aware that other churches are going to make different decisions. Some of them already have. And I want my church family to know that many of us pastors here in Huntington have met and we've talked and we've prayed together through this and we've committed to remain supportive of each other, even if some decisions we make are different from each other. This is one way in which we can practice and experience the unity of the body of Christ as directed by the Holy Spirit. This is a work of the Spirit, an aspect of how the Holy Spirit erupts into the world and into the church by empowering his people revealing the things of God, and unifying us as gospel people. And the fourth is this. The Holy Spirit purifies. He purifies. One of the aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit is enacting the power and presence of God in that he cleanses us from sin, making us more holy in conduct and thought. I mean, he is the Holy Spirit, after all. In becoming a Christian, the Holy Spirit, he does an initial cleansing work in us, breaking us from our identity with the sin that marked our lives before. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, he, he says, And this is what some of you were, fallen sinners. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And he reminds us in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Does this mean we become instantaneously without sin? No. But this work of the Holy Spirit at least brings about in us a recognition of our sin, our depravity, and our need for the Holy Spirit to continue a sanctifying, a purifying work in us. And we see the evidence of this purifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we grow in holiness and righteousness and we exemplify the fruit of the Spirit in our lives that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. These are the qualities that reflect the character of God. He says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So new life and new birth is the work of the Holy Spirit, which leads to our initial and immediate salvation. But so is the ongoing work of the result of our salvation, growing in holiness and righteousness. This too is a work of the Holy Spirit. Our part is to cooperate with him in this purifying work by surrender and devotion, the things that open our hearts and minds and will to make his work effective in our lives. So this is another aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit as he erupts the presence and power of God into the world, into the church, and into our lives. He does the work of purification from sin in his gospel people. And lastly, the Holy Spirit testifies. 
We've already seen how the Holy Spirit gives testimony and validation to Jesus, his identity, his mission, and his work. We've seen how he gives the testimony of assurance and belonging for those who are in Christ. And we've also seen how he testifies to the things that are consistent and inconsistent with the nature of God. But this is different than assurance and conviction. This is a part we sometimes don't like to talk about. The Holy Spirit will both give and take away blessing from God based on our response to him. In the, Holy, in the, in the Old Testament, we see several times how the, how the Holy Spirit came upon individuals, but would also depart from them because of their persistent sin. This is true with Samson and King Saul and even Israel as a nation. We see David's fear of this in his repentant prayer in Psalm 51, when he says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. So the dynamic though, after Pentecost is different because the Holy Spirit now personally indwells every true believer, but the Holy Spirit can still be grieved or quenched. Grieving means uh, the Holy Spirit is, is offended or saddened by our actions. And we do this by our sin, those thoughts and actions inconsistent with the holiness God has called us to. Paul says in chapter four of Ephesians, he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their deeds, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So we grieve the Holy Spirit by not allowing ourselves to be led by him, by choosing our own way instead. We grieve the Holy Spirit by not obeying him. And when we realize that we cannot live a life of overcoming sin without the help of the Holy Spirit, it becomes very important to us in how we respond to the Holy Spirit when he speaks to us. And quenching the Holy Spirit means to restrict what the Spirit does in the life of the church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, Do not quench the Spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all and hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. We quench the Holy Spirit when we, when we rely solely on our own resources instead of the leading and power of the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit when we legislate against his work of imparting spiritual gifts and ministering to the church through them. Paul says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. And here he means the revelation of truth in our lives or in the church. We quench the Holy Spirit when we ignore truth spoken over our lives, casting it aside as crazy talk or too charismatic or doesn't apply to me. Instead, we should test them, Paul says, weigh them carefully and ask for wisdom and discernment. And we quench the Holy Spirit also when we look down upon or even suppress legitimate experiences and expressions of heartfelt emotion in our worship. So let us not quench the Holy Spirit by telling him what he can and can't do. Scripture tells us what the Holy Spirit does, not our personal preferences or degrees of, or degrees of comfort or even our fears. Okay, church, I know there was a lot in this message today. Maybe it was like drinking from a fire hose, a lot coming at you. But I don't want it to be all information without some application. Hopefully you've been able to, to glean some application as we went along. 
But I want to leave you with some questions today that you can go to the Lord with this week as we continue through this series. Do you, do you think you have a consciousness of relating to the Holy Spirit as a person? Do you really receive him as your constant guide and comforter and teacher? Do you, have you ever been especially aware of his empowering in your life and ministry? And if not, why do you think that is? Do you allow him to speak to you as the revealer of God's presence? Do you seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit in life and decisions, even on a daily basis? That's worth examining. How often you forge ahead with life and without engaging the Holy Spirit in those plans. Are you yielding to the purifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life? In what areas or aspects of life are you grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit? Do you desire to see the role and the influence and the leading of the Holy Spirit be elevated in your life? My hope is that your answer is yes. And I also hope that you'll join next week as we talk about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your presence and your power in our lives. The presence of your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We thank you. We thank you for empowerment. We thank you for unity. Lord, we thank you for revealing to us the things of God. We thank you, Lord, for the purifying work you were doing in our lives, because as you do that work, we know and become more like Jesus. And God, we, and we, we know that the Holy Spirit gives testimony to our position before God, certainly in assurance and certainly the conviction of our sin, but even the ways that, that we, we tend to put our hands up and hold the Holy Spirit back and grieve you and quench you. So Lord, would you make your power and your presence very clearly known in the church today? And may we receive you and your Holy Spirit with all goodness, with all faith and expectation that you're going to move powerfully in our lives and erupt into the church with the power and presence of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, through the power of the Holy Spirit.